I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Home of the brave and home of the weak. And what makes us brave? That we will say anything about anyone. And what makes us weak? That we would never say it to their face and we say it on this podcast for fear. (laughs) You guys, we are Celebrity Memoir Book Club and we read celebrity memoirs and really comb through the pages to say what we really feel and what we think they should really feel for the most part. If that is not something that you're interested in, this is your blinking flashing alert. Turn back now. This is a one-way tunnel and once you're through it, you can never go back. You can't unhear the things that we're going to say. So turn around now. Otherwise, you're strapped into this motherfucking roller coaster. And if you do like it, feel free to hit us with a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. I read our five-star iTunes reviews at the end of the podcast. And mostly if you want to hang out with us, but you can't come because you're physically in another country, we are doing our European-centric live online show with Moment House. Tickets are in the show note. They're in our Instagram bio. They're anywhere you would logically think to look for tickets. It's going to be so fun. It is Wednesday, March 16th. We can't wait to have you there. We're going to do a live show. 3.30 p.m. Eastern and 7.30 GMT. What does that stand for? Um, The general most time. The most general time in the world. I thought it was like, good day, mate time. But that's (laughs) Australian time. Yeah, that would be crazy. It's good morrow time. Oh, how very dashing, chap. Claire. Yes. If you were to describe your week in a memoir, what would the title be called? It would be called From Where You Least Expect It. Okay. So I went skiing this weekend. We went up to Montreal. It was super fun. It was like my third time in my life skiing. I think like physically I'm a pretty good skier, honestly, for someone who's only been three times. Like I feel like I intuitively get it, but emotionally... I am like too old and my bones are too hard. I mean, I'm full, as you guys know. You got to let up on the milk. You got to get some rubber in your soul. My bones are almost so thick that they're like no longer safe. Do you know what I mean? Like they'd crack in an instant. So you've circled back to me, me and my weak bones also cracking in an instant. Yeah, I'm like a giant that with one fail swoop, you could take me down. There's no bend. It's all break. But I like emotionally look at the slant sometimes or the slope and I'm just like for what do you know what I mean like I'm risking it and for what this is even that fun to me but I say you never know where it comes from because even though I very carefully skied and did not fall on the slopes while skiing (sighs) even though it was very icy conditions sure I did 100% fall off of the lift (laughs) which is like something I feel like you're not really worried about I actually am I think you could fall anywhere anytime (laughs) I like Almost fell down my own stairs the other day. That's fair. I like was on the lift and it was time to get off. And I was there with my friend and she was like, all right, get ready. And I was like, I'm ready. And then she got off and I guess I was still getting ready. And then it started turning and I was like, I don't know where this goes. (laughs) I got to get out of here. So I ejected myself like a starfish. (laughs) But like you don't like land on ski. Like you don't even I like landed fully on my side and I was so scared of I don't know. Bad things happen in ski accidents. And I was just like, God, I can't sleep. I haven't slept yet. (laughs) Seven, four days ago. I'm not going to sleep because I don't know what will happen. Did you hit your head? No, I mostly hit my neck and my shoulder. Oh, no. Stay awake for that. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my brain is in my shoulder. I'm built different in that sense. I believe that, honestly. And then the next time I went up, I went to go up with my friend Allison again, and I didn't get on in time. And then I was so fucking panicked because I had to get on by myself. And I was just like, well, this is where I die. If I can't do it with somebody explicitly explaining to me how to do it, 
I'm not going to do it alone. Did you manage? I made it, but I don't know. I'm different now. I do feel like I'm not thinking the same. What if you got on the wrong ski lift and it like shoveled you into a different kind of dimension and now you that are was my different? Thoughts. <laughs> well, like what if I just am a different Claire? Like I'm a Claire from the universe where, and it's like one very slightly different thing. Yes. But I believe in the butterfly effect. So I even believe that if I'm the Claire from a universe where I didn't lose a jacket once in second grade, I'd be like on a very different trajectory. What if you suddenly started getting like coffin shaped acrylics? I would love that for me. What if that's just like the one difference between new Claire and old Claire? I actually think that would be huge and I'm excited to be different. I know because you talked a lot about wanting to be like a nails girl and like wanting to get your nails done more. And I feel like if that suddenly you just like were doing that, I'd be like, this is a different Claire. Listen, I talk a lot about a lot. Anyway, Ashley. Yes, Claire. What would you call the memoir of your last week? Okay, I'm going to make it about bug, but this is the last one. I don't think people mind your bug content. Okay, it would be called Missing You, Missing Me. So I did go to Montreal this week and I had to leave my tiny baby and I was extremely worried about it because we haven't known each other that long. And I do think it's good for her because I think because it's just her and I so often I'm like worried about her having like a hyper dependence on me and not being good with other people, which she'll need to be. So I left her with her trainer who I trust and I was terrified in my bones that she would forget who I am. (laughs) I, I know it's not realistic, but I just we haven't known each other that long. What if she thought that I was just like, some random foster parent shipping her in and shipping her out. And she just like forgot, you know, and then her trainer dropped her off and they were sitting outside my house. And I like went and I put my hand on her little noggin and she let me pet her. And I was like, all right, she's not like that excited to see me, but she recognizes me and is letting me pet her, which she doesn't really do for everyone. And then like a light bulb went off in her head and she lost her goddamn mind she like went fucking crazy somehow she was like standing on my head I was like I don't even know how you got up there she ended up kind of getting me in the chin and I like bit my lip and it does kind of hurt but I was like also like wow what a beautiful love injury (laughs) that sounds like a sex thing I'm sorry I said that I regret it enormously anyway I was so happy that she was so happy to see me because I was so nervous that I'd ruined our relationship and We're just like stronger than ever now. Didn't you give the dating advice recently on a worm to the wise episode where if one little thing breaks up a relationship, then that wasn't even the relationship for you? Yeah, I do think it's different dealing with a grown man brain who's being like an asshole and a puppy brain who is still quite malleable. I don't. I think that the same. I think they have the same brain. I mean, I don't think we would have been broken, but I was like worried about our relationship a little bit. Well, you guys seem fine. We are. Anyway, should we get into this week's book? I think so. I'm still working on my relationships and how I can build a strong foundation with my dog. And so that's why I was so excited to be able to turn to this book about construction. Under Construction by Christelle Strauss. That's not it. Under Construction by Christelle Strauss. Nope. (laughs) Under Construction by Christelle Strauss. Yes. Tricky. It's hard because neither of those words are the words that they should be. Now let's back it up even further. When was she born and what was her name then? Tarina Chriselle Staus was born July 21st, 1981 in Chaffee, Kentucky. Jesus Christ. This was a highly requested episode per you guys. I had no idea. When I saw this book was coming out, I was like, all right, another reality star cashing in while the cashing's good. And then the amount of people who were so beyond stoked to hear about this book, I can't believe it. 
So we had to call in some big guns. We are going to be joined later in this episode by Lindsay and Bobby from Who Weekly. And I am so excited about that. But first, we're going to dive into her story a little. Yeah, we're going to run you guys through the basics of what this book is, which is not much. And then we are going to get into our conversation with them. And I'm so excited. And up top, I mean, Ashley. Yeah. What did you know about Chriselle? I knew she was on Selling Sunset. Mm-hmm. I knew she had been a soap star. And I knew that she was married to the This Is Us guy. But not, in my opinion, one of the top four hottest. I had never seen Selling Sunset or This Is Us. But I did vaguely know the concept. I had tried to get into it a few years ago. And for some reason, it's the one reality show that just didn't have enough for me. Okay, so I went to go watch some episodes to study for this episode. And I found out that I've watched one and three quarters seasons of that show. And I was about to be like, who was using my Netflix? And then I was like, no, now I have a vague recollection of doing this myself. I just don't remember a single thing that I saw. And then some stuff started to come back. Like when you watch it, you're like, okay, there is a girl whose name should be Amanda, but it's Amanda. Yeah, they all have the kookiest (laughs) names. And I did know that Chriselle was the hero, that she was the sweetheart that everybody rooted for. Yes. I also knew I was aware that she got dumped via text by her husband. I don't think I was like 100% aware of the text, but I knew that she went through a divorce and it felt sudden and because he got famous. I was shocked to learn that they had only ever been married for three years anyways. Okay, so I actually think that there are a couple things to cover before we really dive into this book. One thing I want to say is the book jacket description. So there's like a pitch at the top of the book jacket before you even get into the description of the book. And it says, for fans of open book and sell it like Sir Hant, a heartfelt, humorous, personal memoir and relatable guide to overcoming obstacles, wising up about romance and getting ahead in your career from the fan favorite star of Netflix's hit reality show, Selling Sunset. I do think pitching it as here are other memoirs is a weird move. This book is so interesting. And we get into this with like Bobby and Lindsay, but I'm almost positive like you know when you open up a new word document and they give you all the different templates yeah this book was a template like under construction is a memoir template that they're supposed to go in and change like you know how it just has random latin words sometimes in a document to show you the idea of what a document looks like that's what this book was and they just put her photo because as we get to under construction subtitle because living my best life took a little work i mean it's close but she doesn't do construction Yeah, and she doesn't really show the work in this book. The other thing that I think it's really important to point out is that this book was ghostwritten by the same ghostwriter who did Stassi's books, which I think really puts the template into perspective. I think that there's like a lot in that book that you just see again in this book with like a different kitschy title. So throughout this book, we have construction tips instead of like basic bitch tips. I would almost bet my life that the ghostwriter Dina Gatchman was raised in the Daily Mail School of Journalism. Yes. And that, you know how Daily Mail will have like one photo and be charged with 20 paragraphs of copy. And so they'll be like, Lindsay Lohan wore a white pantsuit as she walked into the courtroom. In that ivory pantsuit, the 30-something-year-old star of Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club showed off her pantsuit. (laughs) Professional workplace two-piece in a light cream. It just like goes on and on and... So I read this book, full disclosure, I read this book twice. Yes, because you were inspired. It took me two hours to read it the first time. It took me an hour and a half to read it the (laughs) second time. I was speed reading because I wanted to make sure I got it all done for the interview we did with Bobby and Lindsay. And 
I was almost embarrassed in that interview because there was all these holes and gaps in my memory of the book that I was like, wow, I must have missed like really critical parts of this book while I was trying to speed through it. You didn't. Reading it again, the amount of times that she will repeat the exact same sentence and be like, later I'll explain the rest of this and then just never explains it. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a good reader. I actually have the IQ it takes to read a Chriselle Stouse book. She just didn't remember to finish anything. See, that's the thing is I do not actually put the fault on Chriselle for oh, this. I really put it on Dana Gatchman because I think that that is a ghostwriter's job. Yeah. So should we get in? Yeah. I had to stop again on page one. Well, you could almost say let's start on page one, <laughs> but we've already been going. But have we started? <laughs> I don't know. Has anyone really started? I guess we're all under construction. <laughs> this book is under construction. That's what I think. I'm like, maybe it's super meta. And like later she'll make a book called Finished House and really explain the stories that she said she'd get back to later. Anyway, so she says, sitting down to write this feels surreal. A publisher wants me to write a book. I've never been so flattered and terrified at the same time. So right off the bat, first sentence of this book, we know that it was not her idea to write a book. A publisher was like, Chriselle's hot right now. Let's get her to jot some stories down onto a page. We've always said having the idea for the book first and then pitching it to publishers makes for a better book than the publisher coming to you because they're just like I don't know what stories do I have whereas when you're marinating in it and being like I have stories to tell you're gonna put a good book out or uh, try to and I think it really gives us a good framework to look at other books too as less a memoir and more branded merch this is essentially a backpack company that went to Chriselle and said why don't we put your face on a backpack or why don't we make a Chriselle doll this isn't like her brainchild this isn't Something she's emotionally attached to. She hasn't been like, I've always hoped to get my real story out there. This was Harry Styles branded nail polish. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, this is just a deal she made. This was a contract. She describes herself early on. She says, if you don't know much about me, I'd say I'm a determined, ambitious dreamer who leads with her heart. I'm also a realtor, a soap actor, and one of the stars of Selling Sunset, the Netflix show about luxury realtors in Los Angeles. A lot has been written about my life over the years, and many times it's coming from anonymous sources, but everything in the pages of this book is coming straight from one source, me. I am obviously still a work in progress, and just like any great construction project, sometimes you have to knock down a few walls to let in light. Every remodel begins with a mess, and I'm certainly no exception. So then she gets into how, like, people might assume she's from a $20 million mansion in L.A., but that couldn't be further from the truth. Sometimes people see my dresses, stiletto heels, and carefully applied lashes and assume I'd be as out of place roughing it as Sex in the City's Manhattan-loving Carrie Bradshaw every time Aiden took her to a cabin in the woods. I actually didn't think that about I mean, I didn't think she was, like, a camping girl, but I didn't think she was, like, raised like, in... Like, to the manor born? ...heels and dresses. So this book, if you wanted to read it, you could just read the first chapter because in the first chapter is every interesting story that she promises to flesh out later. And only does she not flesh out, but sometimes she forgets to get back to. And often (laughs) she just rewords almost identically later. So in this book, we get these stories. Her biological father was half Japanese and half Spanish. And he left before he even knew the mom was pregnant. The mom immediately married another man who she knows to be her dad. She is the second oldest of five girls. Spread out over quite a while. Her youngest sister was born when she was 15. Right off the bat, she's like, she grew up very poor. When people mistook me for Carrie, I'd contemplate confessing that I actually missed a whole year of middle school due to our house burning down, forcing us to live in a tent, hopping from campsite to campsite. And then she gets into like all the things she learned being essentially homeless. 
I remember having to work to keep a straight face when asked if I'd competed in beauty pageants growing up in the South. Me, the awkward brown haired girl with a mustache and the rogue tooth, the one who worked at Dairy Queen in high school. She really comes back to that mustache. I also think it's interesting the details she clings to about her scrappy upbringing. She says, I'm still the scrappy kid born in Chaffee, Missouri, whose hospital I was born in isn't even there anymore. I don't think that that's a thing of note at all. Places change. I don't know. Hospitals get bulldozed and rebuilt. That's not the detail. She seems to not know what's interesting. Like everything is given an equal footing in terms of storytelling. So like in this first chapter, she tells us a lot about her childhood and about how hard it was to be on the lunch program. She talks about the embarrassment, about how she couldn't do activities because her parents couldn't afford them. I was one of the kids who didn't make it back to class after a head lice check. And I wrote Claire next to that. (laughs) She also explains that her mom was a real hippie free spirit and her dad was a rocker. He was a drummer in a handful of cover bands, I guess. She is very forgiving of her parents in this. I focus on the positive lessons I learned from my parents and there are too many to count. My parents might not have been the best at remembering to pick me up from plays or ever making the track meet. They didn't understand the point of running in a circle, but I have no doubt that needing to be resourceful and street smart at an early age was instrumental in getting me to where I am now. So it's like, thanks, mom and dad, for not raising me and making me scrappy. So she calls them hippie free spirits. But then later she says that her mom was bipolar. Yeah, she says, yes, they had their struggles with addiction and mental illness. And yes, I've forgiven them for those years. They thought it would be a good idea to join the Worldwide Church of God. Legally, I can't say it was a cult, but it sure felt like a cult because they forbade members from celebrating birthdays and Christmas. And they would randomly make house calls to make sure you were still earning your way to heaven. Despite all that, I focus on the positive lessons. Those are some things that she never gets back to. This thing that she can't legally say is a cult. The fact that her parents struggled enormously with mental illness and addiction. I mean, she mentions once or twice that her mom is bipolar, like you said. Very in passing. Much like she has this sentence about after their house burnt down, which she never really gets to. And so they were homeless for a year. They at one point lived with her grandma. And they were like, who we could only move in with after we forced her to kick out her creepy boyfriend that's not returned to interestingly enough on the book jacket they said chriselle shares her story of living an unconventional childhood in small town kentucky marked by periods of homelessness family addiction struggles and dreams of one day being a daytime soap i mean that's already more than we get in the book i mean that's all we get in the book so she really does just repeat the same couple of sentences over and over again so in this first chapter she says my mother was a free spirited no one can tell me what to do kind of badass She thought all the Dairy Queen employee rules were dumb and that they either didn't matter or that she knew better than whoever made them up. One day during her brief stint, I walked up to find her working the drive-thru while smoking, but more on that later. My mom is a legend. She truly embodied the I don't give a fuck spirit and I'll always love that about her, even if it made some of her decisions questionable to say the least. I mean, later all she says is that her mom was smoking in the drive-thru, so she had to fire her mom and her mom was like, it's okay, I was going to (laughs) quit. And then she tells this story. She's like talking about how she always wanted to be on TV growing up, even though she was the ugly duckling and they were poor and there was no reason to believe it. And she tells this story. I was so determined to be on TV. So when one of our houses made the news by being the scene of a drive-by shooting, I saw an opportunity. And then she talks about how she shadowed a journalist for a day to see what that took. And she never returns to that. Like all these things could have been a good story. So she got really into acting when she was in high school. She tried out for the play. She wanted to be Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, but she got the role of Toto. And she ended up, turning down the role because she would have had to miss shifts for work and it would have been just too many shifts to miss. And she was like, honestly, it just wasn't worth it to play a dog with no lines and then not make money for that quarter of school. She says, there are no small parts unless your cast is Toto instead of Dorothy. Even then, it's a part. But she doesn't do the part. 
she doesn't take it. More than once, she'll give a tip that is not derived from the story she tells. Yeah, and it's not a tip either. So even she goes through all of her sisters. She has one older sister, Shonda, two younger, Tabitha and Carissa. And then her youngest sister is Sabrina. She says, when my baby sister was born, I was often the one changing or feeding or burping her, which is probably why I wasn't rushing to have kids at a young age. I'd had the whole baby experience as a teenager. So I got into my 20s. I was focused more on my career. And this is a story she tells three or four times about how when her mom got pregnant, she sat her down and was like, how are you going to afford this baby? Like, you can't even feed us. Like, what are you thinking? And that she basically raised her little sister. It's funny to me when people see me now and assume I was born in a $20 million L.A. mansion instead of being someone whose childhood was filled with eviction notices and who spent time living in an abandoned schoolhouse that had a leaky roof and a room full of old creepy dolls in it. I mean, I don't think that someone would assume that she lived in an abandoned schoolhouse full of dolls, but I don't know who is assuming she grew up in a $20 million L.A. mansion. That was the first chapter, and the rest of the book will take about 10 minutes to get through because that's like every story in the book. Chapter two is, so I was a Walmart Barbie and it's a list of all the jobs she's had. Her first ever job that she made money for was the receptionist at an auto mechanic shop where her dad worked. They paid her $30 a week to answer the phones. And she's like, since my car knowledge was limited, I was constantly looking things up in a Kelly Blue Book and telling you the value of different cars and parts. People would call up and ask me how much things cost. And if I couldn't find it within a reasonable time, I would just take my best guess at the cost. I got in trouble pretty quickly. My dad was not happy. And so after that, I was relegated to accepting deliveries and handing the adults the phone when it rang. I just think that's a funny story because then one of her construction tips is sometimes you have to fake it to make it, even if it means pretending what you know a tourmaline is, which is a car part. And then at the back, in addition to the construction tips, she has like listicles, I guess, things she learned from every job. And at the auto mechanic receptionist gig, she says, fake it till you make it. You may not always feel like you are great at your job, but sometimes acting like you belong there is half the battle. And I'm just like, okay, so you said the same thing three times, fake it till you make it, about a story where you were immediately fired for not knowing what you were doing and faking it. I also want to point out that she mentions a lot throughout this book when a place has natural light. Like when they were living in an attic, she was like, but I was right by the window, so I had really good natural light. She's like realtoring the squalor she grew up in. I do think that's what makes her who she is, though, is that she's so optimistic that she is able to sell anything, including to sell it to herself. Like I do think she is a good salesperson because she can believe the good in everything. Yeah. Like I do think she can look at like all five children living in an attic and being like, isn't it great that we have a window? So then her next job is she gets back into the Dairy Queen thing and she is hired a Dairy Queen. She becomes a manager. They open a second location. She's allowed to staff it. Her mom wasn't working, so she gives her mom the job. Basically, she had to fire her because people were complaining and it wasn't fair. And she goes, construction tip. Being your own mother's boss at work is about as bad as it sounds. I do not recommend. Yeah. And then she goes through her other jobs. She worked in a lot of restaurants throughout college. She paid her way through college waiting tables. And then when she moved out to L.A. to become a soap star, she couldn't even get a job as a waitress because I guess it's incredibly competitive in Los Angeles to even get a job waiting tables. So she got a job as a hostess where she jumped the line of the hostess to waiter pipeline because she convinced her boss when someone didn't show up to let her get the tables. She was like, just give me two tables and see how I do. And she told the people at her table, don't tip me. Just tell the manager that I did a really good job. And she ended up getting the server job. I think that that really shows her ability to make an opportunity out of everything by simply telling people what she needs. I mean, she also was a hand model for like QVC and she begged and begged and begged the guy to let her show her face. She was like, just give me one opportunity to sell something during an ad. And if I sell it, great. And if not, I'll never ask again. 
and she's able to become like a full face model, even though they do not pay her more. They do not pay she her more. She fully becomes a co-host. So she's almost there. And she does it by basically just turning to the camera and being like, for the love of God, you have to buy something. I want them to let me stay. After one year in LA, she gets the audition for All My Children and gets it like immediately. She literally auditions before Labor Day weekend on a Thursday and is told you probably won't hear back till Tuesday. And she hears back on Friday. With like a four-year contract and she ends up staying for seven years. She didn't have to work that hard out in L.A. I mean, her childhood was hard. Things did come, it seems, pretty quickly, like relative to how the entertainment industry works. So then she gets into her childhood dreams about being an actress. And she talks about how when she was in high school, she auditioned for some acting competition for men. But she read that women could apply and she won the thousand dollars. She says she wasn't pretty back then, but we're going to put up a photo on Instagram of her in high school. I mean, she is one of the most naturally pretty people I've ever seen. She has a very Britney Spears energy. Yes. There's something beautiful and sparkly about her being. She goes to college and after college, she moves out to LA. She gets a BA in theater. I have to say, I was kind of shocked to hear she went to college. Me too. I kind of wonder why. I just don't think that she like knew any other way. And I feel like when you're in high school, especially like a small town high school like that, I feel like the answer is either leave and go to college or stay in your town and keep working at Dairy Queen. So right after college, she moves straight out to LA. And she says, I ended up finding a manager who turned out to be pretty shady and predatory, which is a common story among many new actors in Los Angeles. These managers promise you'll become a star and they have all the connections and really they're out to take your money and waste your time. Eventually, I figured out that my manager was horrible at contracts and negotiations and that I was getting a raw deal, but it took a while to wise up to that. This is exactly like those two sentences should have been an entire chapter. Yeah. Like what happened? How did you find your manager? What is it that they were doing? What do you mean they were taking your money? She talks about the days of All My Children. She says that she did have co-stars, especially male co-stars who made five times more than her, but she was... It seems just happy to be there and constantly just trying not to fuck up. She also says that after All My Children got canceled, she booked an amazing guest role on the show Body of Proof. But after that, she felt like her career had completely dried up. And I think it's because she got the first thing so quickly. It feels like a couple weeks without work is nothing. And she goes, I didn't allow myself to wallow forever, though, and instead took matters into my own hands. I decided to make a mood board. She ends up on Days of Our Lives for a little while and then... She decided to take her life and her career into her own hands by getting her real estate license. This is something I really am shady on the events of. So she gets fired from Days of Our Lives before her contract is up. She got a five-year contract and was fired after two, which is actually very similar to Betty White. She was nominated for a daytime Emmy. And then a week after she filmed that, she was fired. So I think her nomination came in after she'd already been fired from the show. So she is feeling like acting opportunities, I think, aren't going well. But I wonder how long things weren't going well when she decided to get her real estate license. And then she says, about a year after I got my license, I got an email from a casting director about a Netflix show about L.A. real estate and the Oppenheim group. I'd met Jason Oppenheim at a party in L.A. and he told the producers of the show about me. And I mean, she just gets the job. She like doesn't even really audition for it. And it is interesting, I think, for show background that she was essentially cast for the show, not hired at the Oppenheim group. I don't know if people knew that. I didn't know that. I think I didn't know about it because I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. But okay, here's the thing. Here's what I'm wondering. So a year after she got this license, she got an email about casting this show. And I wonder if a lot of times in Hollywood, there is sort of a general mindset about a certain type of shows that are going to go into production types of things that they're looking for before the show has any serious details there are conversations about the type of the show probably for years so I wonder if she had a manager at that point who was like 
people are really diving into this real estate direction. And I think you have a future there, whether it be on HGTV or on some upcoming new reality show that people have been talking about, not that show specifically, but just like the theme of shows. And she even says part of her thought process for getting her real estate license was kind of HGTV potential. She says later that within a month of getting fired in 2013, I decided to take some control of my future income and get my real estate license. Because we were like kind of confused at how quickly she gave up on acting. Not that she gave up, but that she admits that she got her real estate license because she wanted to make sure she never was high and dry financially. And it was a hard thing for her to admit that she was setting up a plan B. But I do think since she became so successful so quickly, like she had a full-time job for seven straight years within a year of moving to LA. And I do think she has that busy Phillips disease that we were talking about on busy's episode about like when you have a lot of success right out the gate, what is actually a very normal hiatus feels like a failure. I think it is just normal to go a long time between jobs, especially big, steady jobs. All My Children was canceled in 2010. She was mostly employed for her 10 years in LA. And I think to say within a few weeks, I decided I should get a real estate license. It had to have been a job opportunity. Yeah. Chapter four is up your list price. And it's about all these opportunities that she didn't get. So first she was supposed to be on Celebrity Splash, which ended up just becoming Splash, which was essentially dancing for the stars, but with a high dive, she didn't know how to swim. Yeah. But she was going to take it. And she was like, look, it was for six figures. And I was like, I can jump off a diving board for six figures. And then the week before a woman named Catherine Webb who went viral for being shown at a football game. Do you remember Catherine Webb? No, I Googled her. She's pretty. Yeah. Okay. It was this thing where like at the orange bowl or some big college football game, they like showed one of the players, girlfriends and people were like struck. Like by the end of the day, she had a modeling contract. Like it was so crazy. Everyone was like, she's so beautiful. She was literally, she, I mean, she was Miss girl. Alabama USA 2012. Yeah. But people lost their minds over her. The announcers were like, my God, she is beautiful. Everyone was like, what the fuck is going on? It was a really weird sensation. She ended up replacing Chriselle on this diving show. They were like, we've got to get this girl who was sitting at a football game. Fuck the soap star. But then everything works out for Chriselle. Thankfully, within about a week of my embarrassing splash rejection, I booked Days of Our Lives. Things like that are a good reminder that everything happens for a reason because, of course, I would rather do days than freaking live diving. I will say she never fails for long. She also was supposed to be the bachelorette at one point. I think that's like a huge story. When she was 25. Then once again, she was undermined because a woman named Deanna. Deanna Pappas, I think. She had been the runner up on The Bachelor for Brad Womack season. She went on Ellen and Ellen was like, well, you should be the bachelorette. And then she got so much fan support that like, again, a few weeks before filming, Chriselle was canceled. She also has this construction tip that made me very curious. She says, if someone sits you down to give you the dish on a fellow coworker, unless that person is your ride or die, pretend that every conversation you're having is being recorded. Office gossip can and will be used against you. Where did that come from? What are you talking about? I mean, that's definitely a Selling Sunset reference. I guess it is a Selling Sunset reference, but every conversation she has for Selling Sunset is recorded. <laughs> like she is on TV. A good point. So it made me wonder. I was like, have you been in a situation where office gossip like randomly came back to bite you? Because that is true, but like you're on a reality show where the point is like office drama. You don't have to act like you're being recorded. You literally are being recorded, and everything you are saying is purposefully being used against you. She goes on a real long tangent about Jeffrey Owens, who was the guy that went viral for working at Trader Joe's after being on the Cosby show. And she yeah. honestly gets further emotionally into his story than her own at any point. She's like, job shaming is wrong and it's okay to have a side hustle. 
so she ends that chapter with being like, you have to support yourself, put on Beyonce, whatever it takes, put on some high heels and just go in confidently. And then she wraps up that with another list called how to up your list price. And the first sentence is, I haven't mastered the art of upping my list price. <laughs> like then why was that the name of the chapter? And then her first suggestion is find a solution to a problem. Great idea. Have a side hustle. Brilliant. Think outside the box. Good. Offer something unique. Okay. Take pride in your work. Sure. Know your worth. Good one. Be a pleasure to work with. Amen. Oh, sorry. And write checks your ass can cash. Preach. And so then she gets into nice girls clap back and she talks about every time she stood up for herself and she tells a story about when a boy in middle school pulled her hair out and her mom drove to his house and grabbed him by his hair. I guess that's not standing up for yourself. She also talks about all of her Selling Sunset co-workers and she says something about all of them. And then she gets to Christine, who's her enemy on the show. And she goes, then there's Christine. At this point, what can I say? She's beautiful. Her ability to walk in seven inch heels while pushing a stroller is very impressive. And her secret to applying the perfect red lip that never bleeds is something I've yet to figure out. I do think it's not crazy for people to ask if she was a pageant girl. Can I just like quote this thing about when she first met Christine? Yeah. I'm not naturally aggressive and I have a pretty long fuse, so it takes a lot to set me off. When I first started at the Oppenheim group, Christine Quinn was one of the agents who tried to befriend me at first, but she quickly turned into more of an antagonist than a buddy. She's beautiful, tall, and thin, and even though she tried to bond with me at first, I knew pretty quickly to keep my guard up around her, and I thought she possibly had ulterior motives. One minute she was inviting me to cocktails to give me the scoop on Hollywood Hills real estate, and the next thing she's using things I said out of context to pit me against my coworkers. Yeah, there's an ulterior motive. You're on a reality show. Her motive is not to be your friend. It's to create good TV. Right. She talks about some drama that they had where they left a season on horrible terms. And then when they came back after the next season, they were like vaguely cordial again. And Christine sat her down and invited her to her engagement party. And Chriselle said no. She was like, we're not friends. And I've met your fiance like a couple of times. It wouldn't make sense for me to be there. And this I actually find crazy. Just go to the party. It's like a work party. That was one where I'm like, all right, I've been on your side up till now. But like, why didn't you just go to the party? She's like, it just wouldn't feel right. I knew I had to tell her no. I said it in the nicest way I could, explaining that it would feel fake since we were barely on speaking terms. Even though I could tell she wasn't happy, I stood my ground on that decision. Just go to the party. And then she gets into how she's learned to stand up for herself and how calm she is. And she says, my therapist always says that when you do cry, don't wipe away the tears. Instead, pat them into your face. He is convinced they contain healthy healing properties, which is a very L.A. thing to say. I'm a Kentucky girl at heart, so I skeptically Googled it and couldn't find anything on it. So I'm not sure you can 100% rely on this advice. The sentiment is nice, though. Don't be ashamed of those tears. Some other advice of his is that's always stuck with me is to not let your self-worth be measured by outside opinions. For that to be the paragraph about things her therapist has told her and to spend the first five sentences on things that not only does she not believe but aren't true and then throw in, by the way, you need to have (laughs) self-worth. She goes into her favorite ways to handle conflict and two of them are going dead behind the eyes. Yes. And then she says to use humor and it's like, okay, Chriselle. Classy ways to clap back. Humor. Ever see a stand-up comic get heckled? It always ends badly for the heckler, hilariously for the audience and as a win for the comic. And then she goes, power moves, cut your haters off at the past. Sometimes you can refuse to work with them. And if you have the rank to pull this off, it will quickly prove that they will get left behind if they don't play nice in the sandbox. Kill them with kindness, pretty self-explanatory. Go Go dead dead behind the eyes all while smiling. If you're (laughs) experiencing a conflict that will likely go away if you just smile and nod, like someone challenging you about whether the best decorating style is Spanish or Mediterranean, sometimes it's worth it to preserve your own energy and move along. The smile does not need to be convincing. It just needs to be present. Social status. Which is like to make your life look good on social media. The subtle drag. 
when you speak up and you could properly and succinctly drag someone to their place without ever raising a finger or voice. Ignore them and success. And that, that one I agree with. The best success is a life well lived. And then she gets into a chapter called Just My Luck where she talks about like how hard she works basically and it starts with a story about her and her sister tricking the neighboring kids into giving them their points so they could win a boombox. And then it talks about how her mom and dad were always like, oh, we have the worst luck. And she decided she wasn't going to talk about luck anymore. She was just going to like work hard. And she still talks about luck. Yeah. But then the rest of the chapter talks about realizing that when things seem like bad luck, they could be good luck. And so she talks about every red light is just a green light that hasn't turned green yet. (laughs) Green light, baby. So this is where she tells us about The Bachelorette. And she is basically like, I hated that my love life was the center of attention during Selling Sunset. So actually, it's pretty good that I was on The Bachelorette where my love life really would have been the center of attention. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then she loses the job for a Nickelback video. And then she loses the job that she was given to be in Cheaper by the Dozen, the Disney Plus remake with Gabrielle Union and Zach Braff. And that's recent. Yeah, they told her they got the part and then they went with somebody else. I wonder who else they went with. Me too. I'm excited to watch that remake. So this is all about like going forward, looking at everything glass half full, things that are bad luck actually are good luck. And she says, like I've said, it's not always so easy to pull yourself out of a funk and stop wallowing. But sometimes a situation merits some serious wallowing. After a battle with cancer, my mom passed away in July 2020. The world was stuck in a coronavirus lockdown and I just suffered this tremendous loss. It was a terrible time and you bet your ass I wallowed. Not long after my mom died, I got a call asking if I wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars. It suddenly felt like the perfect way to push myself to get up, dress up, and show up. And then she just goes on to how great Dancing with the Stars was. Okay. I just feel like losing the Disney Plus gig got more ink than her mom dying. Yes. It's all very interesting. So she talks about her relationships. She had a high school boyfriend who was a stoner, a college boyfriend who was sweet. Then she dated Matthew Morrison from Glee. Matthew Morrison trigger warning. She doesn't say anything about him. Just that they broke up and they're still cordial, which like you don't have to be. (laughs) Then she talks about her relationship with Justin Hartley from This Is Us. He was a soap star They were both soap stars when they met. Then he became famous like overnight on This Is Us, which is a show that has just been blown so far out of proportion. I will say I watched like the first season and I was like, okay. They met in 2013, got married in 2016 and got divorced in 2019. Interesting. Wow. So they dated for three years, were married for three years, and now they've been divorced for three years. A perfect triangle. Yes. They broke up because she doesn't know why they broke up. She says... In 2019, while I was filming Selling Sunset, he filed for divorce and notified me via text. Although there were definitely signs that things were far from perfect, ending things in such a finite way without talking it through with each other or friends or family was a complete shock. It was like the day after she had done a charity event with him. Like she had truly no idea. This is a really interesting paragraph. She says, when someone is in love, it's hard to convince that person that the relationship isn't right, which is why oftentimes friends only speak up once in the beginning or not at all. Even if he's waving red flags like a bullfighter to everyone around you, you're the girl striding up to him, oblivious to any impending danger. Everyone around you is screaming and waving their arms because they know it's not going to end well, but you're too distracted and in your own world to listen. But also sometimes a healthy relationship that starts out with zero warning signs can turn toxic over time time and you can end up bringing out the worst in each other simply because it wasn't meant to be in other words it's complicated I don't know what she's trying to say here I don't know that she says anything ever (laughs) and I love her listen do not think that we're down on Chriselle I think she's so sweet and I'm so happy for her that this is her personality this book made me want to watch Selling Sunset and I like love her but nothing she says is true she does remind me of Matthew McConaughey because what it is that makes her successful cannot be taught it has to be like innate in you do you know what I mean it was just like a gift she was born with that she is so pretty gift one gift two is she's so optimistic and she's so naive well she says 
her blood type is B positive, so it's literally in her blood to be positive. With that rationale, some, me, could argue that my blood type has also been B stupid, but I digress. <laughs> She's so funny. So then she gets into, she dated next a dancing partner. A dancer from Dancing with the Stars. And then she dates Jason Oppenheim from Selling Sunset. And she talks about how it was just like a friendship that grew into something special over time. I mean, obviously they've since broken up, but he is the only relationship with a photo in the book, which I think was a a rough choice on her part. I actually think that it was timed exactly. Do you think anybody's going to buy this book next year? No. I will say at the end of this chapter, she has If Men Were Houses. Please note this is written from my point of view, but can be applied to any gender or heart that gets your heart pumping. And I actually think this is the only list in the whole book that makes sense. So there's the fixer upper. They have a smelly roommate and you can't be sure that they wash their sheets often, but they're a good person who treats their friends and mom and dog like gold. The flip, they aren't that experienced and you're going to pour years into teaching them how to be considerate and what is and is an acceptable behavior only to have it benefit their next relationship. That's like a real type of boyfriend. The teardown, run, the Airbnb is exciting and fun, but not the place for long-term arrangements. And then the dream home. I think that those are solid analogies. Then she gets into how much she loves new kids on the block. Can I like read the sentence? Because this is a perfect example of why I had to read this book twice because I thought I missed something crucial. Okay. Chapter eight, a good egg. I could never in a million years have predicted that my childhood new kids on the block obsession would one day intersect my attempts to freeze my eggs so I was thinking that somehow the new kids on the block would lead to her freezing her eggs or she would like literally all that happened is she was freezing her eggs at the same time that she got the call to go on dancing with the stars she ended up dancing to one of the new kids on the block song per her own request yeah and they sent in a video being like thanks for dancing to our song Chriselle we're excited to see you on tv tonight I just like don't know what that has to do. Like, yeah, you. I mean, the freezing your eggs process is a six to eight week process. And in that time, she heard a new kiss on the block song <laughs> because she also requested to dance to new kiss on the block. So she's a huge fan. She talks about the first time she saw them live. Her sister flew into New York because they were going to do the Today Show and they waited out in line all night to be able to go see new kids on the block. And she didn't realize that because she was on all my children, which was also an ABC show, she probably could have just talked to them and been like, Hey, I want to go to that today show performance. Can you get me in? Also, she says she's met them a handful of times since because she was on a soap opera. And I just feel like it's not like after years of waiting, you finally got to meet them when you were freezing your eggs. Yeah. She also uses this time to talk about her experience raising her little sister, Sabrina. She just said she's overly protective of her and it was hard to transition from a mother figure to a sister figure now that she's an adult. Long before I froze my eggs and danced a tango, I actually had my first experience of being a mom. My own mom got pregnant with my baby sister, Sabrina, when I was 15, going on 16. And when she told me she was expecting a fifth baby, I was not happy. I told her we couldn't afford another baby, but as soon as Sabrina was born, I was in love. I was a teenager, but I quickly stepped into the role of mom, changing diapers, feeding her, putting her to bed. And she said that she would get a lot of judgment because people assumed she was a teen mom, even though that's pretty regular in the town she's from. Yeah. And she would just lean into it. And also, in case you're worried that I just quoted the same thing I quoted at the beginning of the episode, this is a different example of that quote. She says the same thing a lot. And again, I blame Dina. So then she has a quick chapter about how her dad got cancer and he fought for four years and then died. And then as soon as he died, her mom got cancer and died very quickly. Also, her dad couldn't read. Yeah, dude, this with Tiffany's book, I was like, oh my God, the literacy programs in America are bad. I didn't know that. (laughs) We should all move to Cuba. The final chapter, Bringing It Home, is just like a six-page analogy about how finding your perfect house is like building your best life and love. And it just kind of relates to everything. And she talks about buying a house and how the pictures she saw online weren't good, but then she went and she was like, oh, this is my perfect house. And she got it. 
And now she's happy and she's so proud of herself being a homeowner. And I'm proud of her too. And that's the whole book. So now we're bringing in the experts. Do you have any last thoughts before we bring them in? No, I feel like we get all of our thoughts across. I mean, I like Chriselle. I have nothing against her. I, I agree with you. I think the ghostwriter did her dirty. And I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation with Lindsay and Bobby. I'm sure you guys have already heard of them and love their podcast, Who Weekly. But if not, we are so excited to bring on the co-hosts, Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber. Thank you guys so much for being here. We are here with Bobby and Lindsay of Who Weekly. Are you guys selling sunset heads? Yes. Yes. What are they yes. called? Like sunset sunset heads? Like Zillow addicts or like real estate <laughs> losers or something like that. Like Oppenheimers. Oppenheimies. Oppenheimers. Oppenhomies or something like Oppen that. Oppenhomies. Yeah, we're the Oppenhomies. <laughs> I love that. So I'm a reality TV junkie and I, this is the one series I've never been able to get into. Can you sell it? That's crazy. Cause I'm like the opposite. Oh, sell selling sunset. Yeah. <laughs> Luxury real estate means meets like bad personalities. Is that like, a, how do you even, how do you even sell it? Weirdly the stakes are so, I mean, I love how low stakes it all is. It's just like, I don't watch a lot of reality TV and I plow through this every time. And I like the fact that like they're not really doing anything and the houses sort of sell themselves because they're so expensive. So all they need to do is have very low stakes drama. Um, I guess my pitch is that no one seems to understand or only half of the people on the show seems to understand, seem to understand that it's a reality show. So it's like Chriselle is like playing the villain of a reality show. And a lot of the other women are like very upset with her for like playing a role and they don't understand it. So it's like the fact that some of the women are there for work and to be friends and some of the women are there to be famous is like creates interesting conflict to me. All so the time. Chriselle is the villain. Ye arguably. No, but yeah, I think no, definitely. no, no. Oh, no, sorry. Christine, Christine, Christine. I meant Christine. Okay, okay, okay. This makes sense. Chriselle is the audience. When they bring in Chriselle, she's the... I guess you could call the straight person. They're all straight people. She's the straight person in the, like everyone else is cuckoo bananas insane. And she is supposed to be like you. She's relatable. She's from a small town. She's she's new to this world. She The, the problem is that she's beautiful and an actress. So it's all like irrelevant <laughs> right. if you actually break it down. But she's supposed to be like the normalizing one coming into this crazy world of real estate. And like, mm. that's why I feel like it's, it's her show. She's the protagonist in that way. I okay. Think. That yeah. makes sense. Chriselle's really appealing because she almost feels like she doesn't understand that she's famous. And I think that's what this book really, it really cements that for me, but also the show, also her life, also the way that she operates in her social media. I think she has this weird thing where I don't think she'll ever think that she's famous, which is kind of admirable or she'll think she's too famous like her perception of herself is very strange like it's very weird and i think not quite accurate yeah <laughs> yeah i think that was my favorite thing about the show is the non-action of it all and like the weird perception they all have of themselves like i was watching the episode where amanda has to fill in for someone to show a house and she shows up late and they all do this thing where they're like I may have been there late or like, I may have fucked up this, but I did sell the shit out of that house. And then you see them walking around the house and they're like, here's a bedroom. Here's a pool. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I love when they're like, you could uh, eat food here. It's a dining room table. And they're like, I sold the shit out of that dining room. My favorite realtor thing is when they show things off and the potential buyer says, well, I don't really like that. They say, well, you can change it. 
It's like, yeah, we know. Like, anytime a realtor goes, and if you don't like the cabinets, you can change the cabinets. It's like, I can't believe yes. this is what you do for a living. <laughs> like, it really does degrade real estate agents, <laughs> to be honest, this show. That's the house hunters problem that they invented, I feel, is like the people not knowing how to fake pretend they don't like a house. So they're just like, well, the walls are green. And I just don't know if there's a way around paint. that. Coat of paint. Mm-hmm. Like this is the house I want to live and die in, but could I live and die with green paint? And you're like, you don't have to. You actually probably shouldn't die in a house with the same paint you started with. In the latest season, this is what sticks with me. Heather is showing Heather, true idiot, is showing somebody a house, and the house has a pool that goes around and under the house like a moat. I don't know how you're supposed to use this pool, but there's a part where in the house there's like a glass floor, and you can see the water, and you walk over the water, and she's showing the buyer, and she goes. Uh, you know, I don't even know if I had this area, I could put plants, I could put fish. And he goes, well, wouldn't there be chlorine? Like the fish would, wouldn't make it. And she goes, ah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> They're always like, I researched the hell out of this house. It is a uh, mid-century modern. It has four bedrooms. <laughs> I also, as someone who really despises LA, not to be like, I feel like this is going to come up a couple of times. I've always will. That's another pitch for the show. Like, I hate Los Angeles so much. Like, I hate the way it looks. I hate the way it feels. But mostly the way it looks. A lot of the the look. So I'm obsessed with every house they show. They're like, can you believe this view? And it's the ugliest view you've ever seen in your life. It's like Los Angeles from afar, covered in smog. I'm like, I love every house they show. This version of a person is like gagged for every single thing they show. And I lo- like I just can't possibly relate. And I think that's part of the appeal to me. It's just like. Right. You're not doing and awing along with them. I do not understand these people at all. There's like yeah. a fresh view of a wildfire. And they're just like, can you believe that you yeah. can see the fires from your house? <laughs> the view really is mind boggling that the view is beautiful. Because the view, while at night, I think is lovely and glittering. During the day when they're like, look at this view. I'm like, what? What are we looking at? Like, am I missing what this actually looks like? The other thing is I truly have only had bad experience with real estate agents. I have yet to have a good real estate agent experience. Like, you know, prove me wrong one day, but I have yet to meet a good state agent who has been helpful to me in any sort of like a business transaction. So, I mean, watching this show really doesn't help that perspective either. (laughs) In New York and LA, it's like, I mean, it's the same thing I've always thought. If a house is $40 million, I'm sorry, your croissant spread wasn't what got the buyer in. They weren't <laughs> right, like, right, right, it right, wasn't right. that you were able to help them visualize raising a child here. It's that mm-hmm. they were, you know, they're like Saudi billionaires and they need somewhere to stash their money and they're just like out of other things to buy. So now they're like, what about this? Remember Burgers and Botox from like season two or three where she just like yeah, has the that... Botox at the at the open house or whatever? I thought that was funny and creative. Nothing is selling the house other than the fact that like there are people looking for a house in a very specific area that costs a very specific amount of money. And they're like, all right, there's three options. I'm going to pick whichever one I can literally get my hands on. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it reminds me of Chriselle's book in a way where it's like the most interesting things about Chriselle, she doesn't talk about. She doesn't yes. expand them. But like when... They're in Selling Sunset and Jason's like, we got this, we got this new house, blah, 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 blah. Mary, do you think you can find a buyer for this? And she's like, yeah, I think I have some buyers. It's like, how do you have this Rolodex of people? Like, I'm intrigued to knowing, like, what is the networking that brings you to knowing so many rich people and so many rich people who are always looking for houses? And it's just like, is that just how luxury real estate works is it just rich people moving money from place to place to place to place to place it's yes i think that that is true and i feel like in my studies of the rich 
They're always moving <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. I mean, Chris uh, Jenner, we read her book and she would just like go on a drive and buy a house and call Caitlin <laughs> and be like, we're moving back up the brood. I mean, think about Ellen and Portia. Ellen and Portia move like every 18 months. They buy a new like $40 million mansion. And then you gut it. Look at Heather Dubrow. I mean, you, you buy a $20 million mansion. You put another $20 million into making sure it is unsellable to anybody else. <laughs> I was gonna say you sell it for 10 million. <laughs> and you see if you can recoup the losses. It's like a game. Do you know what I mean? It's like when rich people go thrifting and spend twice as much to like tailor it to fit now. And you're like, well, you could have spent that just on a fitting piece of clothes. Like it's a game to yeah. them. I guess when you can't like go hang out with your friends because you're so rich, then it's like you need a hobby and that's time consuming and satisfying. It's kind of like how I recommend my accountant to every person who I've ever met. Like if I have a good resource, like a real estate agent who I like, I'd recommend them. And then I get like the clout of like that person. So I do think it's a lot of, you know, oh, um, I have a real estate agent for you. They'll find you a house. And then I get the like shine of being like the useful mm -hmm. rich person's rich friend, you know, like I do think there is a network of like recommending real estate agents that really works in that it makes you like more powerful in the connector. So I get the Rolodex thing of it all kind of, you know? And also I do think that like rich people, like a fun hobby is let's take this asset that almost always appreciates to sit on an LA property and not have it go up in some capacity by just existing is nearly impossible. And they're like, <laughs> watch me take money, spend money and return with less money. And I think that that's like fun for them. <laughs> I do love that sometimes like on Selling sun sun Sunset and only this show and no other show, they'll say this property is going to be on the market for a hundred million dollars. Only like 10 people have this amount of money to spend on a house. We got to find them. I, I love the idea that there is something in existence that only 10 to 15 people can afford in the world. That's amazing. Something that I love about Selling Sunset is that you never know if someone is an actor or an actual buyer. Like it's really yeah. hard to tell when they do open houses. Like, is this someone they cast? Did they just have like an open call for extras to come pretend to be buyers? Or is this an actual rich person? And I truly can never tell because LA is so crazy. Like, like, it's it's impossible to tell who is actually rich and who is just playing a rich person. And it's impossible. To, and, and that goes for the main characters on the show. Even when they're like, commission, $300,000. It's like, I still don't know, like, does all the money go to them? Does part of it go no. to Oppenheim? Like, how well, much are the taxes on that? Like, how much money do these people have? I have no idea. Great. And guess what Chris Schell doesn't do in this book? Explain a damn thing about real estate. <laughs> in it she's talking about being on dancing with the stars i do know that dancing with the stars is very taxing on a celebrity i've heard a lot of them talk about how it's the hardest thing they've ever gone through and on top of that she says she's going through ivf mm -hmm. which i know is also taxing on the body and then she's like and on top of that i had two houses i was in the middle selling <laughs> and i was like chriselle who was so reliant on you as a realtor that you couldn't delegate that they wouldn't allow no. for you to find a different realtor who maybe does it professionally no, because Amanda will lose the keys. Amanda I don't know. Will I lose like, the keys. <laughs> One of my yes. favorite things you said is that she has no sense of how famous she is. Were there any moments in this book that really illustrate that to you? Because I mean, as soon as you said that off the top of my head, I thought about the Today Show. <laughs> oh, when she shows up and doesn't know that she can get free ABC tickets when she's like, we camped out. I was like, you're on a soap opera and you camped out with normies? Sleeps on the street in skinny jeans. <laughs> she's relatable in that way and I think her story is genuinely compelling in a way where this is so insidery but I want to blame the editor like I really do think like 
the people around her who helped her make this book are the ones to blame for this book being a being bad. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they need to like inspire her, take her voice and make it interesting. Ask her the right questions. I very selfishly am like, you need a better ghostwriter. You need a better because the story is there. The the interesting childhood is there. You know, like what happened here? <laughs> Do you want to know something really interesting about this book and the ghostwriter that she went with? Is oh good, it's the same writer who did both of Stassi's books, which is funny because I think Stassi's books were really servicey, right? Or at least they tried to be servicey, like how to be a bitch or whatever. In Stassi's book, it was basic bitch tips. This one is construction tips. <laughs> But she's not a contractor. <laughs> that will always drive me crazy. I'm like, Chriselle, you're a real estate broker or agent. You're not in the business of flipping or renovations. And like, I get the metaphor and the metaphor works if she was in construction, but she is yeah. not. The metaphor also doesn't fully work. Like at the end, <laughs> she does like a five page metaphor for how dating and houses are the same. And there are a couple of metaphors like woven into that larger metaphor that are absolute nonsense. One of them that really took me out was when she says that sometimes you find the perfect house and then you get outbid. And it's like, in what dating situation do you find the perfect man and get outbid? I would love for you to convert this for me. Like, what are you talking about? I also love some of the shoe hoard construction tips while we're talking about them. Like, some of them make no sense. Some of them are just specifically about her. Like, here's one (laughs) where she's talking about being a a nude model. Her construction tip is, if being an art model doesn't sound like a good way to make extra cash, don't do it. Do what you have to do, even (laughs) if it's uncomfortable, boring, or embarrassing. But know when it's time to quit. Know your limits. So her tip is is very specifically if you if you're asked to be a nude model for art an art thing and you don't want to do it don't do it how is it helpful how is it helpful to me how is it helpful to you like i just clearly they thought of this construction tip thing and then like could not figure out enough tips she includes under promise and over deliver like i think four times in this book it's one of the construction tips but she also like weaves it into the regular copy she says it over and over again To go back to about like her perception of herself, one of the notes that I took was that this was early on, maybe in the first half of the book, and she writes, when people see me now and assume I was born in a $20 million LA mansion instead of being, and then she talks about how she always grew up like homeless, going from house to house. I was like, Chriselle, no one thinks that you were born in a $20 million LA mansion because all you talk about, and honestly, that's maybe one of the most interesting things about you. You struggled, like you grew up homeless sometimes, like your house burned down, you moved in with your grandma, like you didn't have money. We know that that's essential to who you are. And also, even in Selling Sunset in the most recent season, after she's like been famous for 20 years and on Selling Sunset for three, when she goes to that restaurant and orders like shrimp and the feeder on it, and she's like, nah, I can't do it. I can't eat shrimp like this. How do you do it? Like, she's so like, endearingly um, unfamiliar with things. No one would confuse her for a rich person. She's naturally likable. She is. You really want to like her and you really want to, even though I read this book and like this book sucks, I really still like her. Like it doesn't change how I feel about her. And I'm so happy to learn that her real name was Tarina. What name do you like better, Tarina or Chriselle? I love Chriselle. I love Chriselle. Chriselle is a perfect name. It's a perfect name. One of my favorite clarities is she's like, there's this crazy rumor that I was born at a shell station, (laughs) but I would like to clarify that I wasn't born there. My mom went into labor there. And yes, Chris and Shell is the basis of my name. And I was like, 
Yes. I don't know what clarifying you think you just did. <laughs> as long as it's the truth Incredible. that a man named Chris who worked at a shell is the benefactor to her name, I don't care what the details are of the story. Like, if she had said that none of that was true, I would be so fucked up. First of all, how would you get a name for shell like that? But it is a great, I, I like those little details that are things we already knew about her that are a little bit more like specific and refined. We love her name is Tarina until she takes Chriselle, which is hilarious because what's the difference between those two names? <laughs> <laughs> the best part about that correction of the Chriselle origin story that's a non-correction is at the end, she's like, after she's done, you know, like saying the truth, which is what we already knew, she's like, and if I had been born in a Texaco, my name would have been Chrishexico. And I was like, so it's exactly <laughs> what we thought. Like, that's the joke that we made up and you're using it as though you're correcting us. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And I, oh, and I have my favorite construction tip was, uh, maybe I have two. One of them is sometimes the best beauty advice is what my mom would say every time I got worked up about something. Go outside and play. That's not even actionable. I don't know what that means. And then <laughs> being your own mother's boss at work is about as hard as it sounds. Oof. I do not recommend it. Thanks. <laughs> it's like, okay, I won't be my mom's boss at Dairy Queen for two weeks. I wasn't gonna... But I think it's helpful to know. <laughs> right, because it's like, it, this book has some great, really specific details about her life. Making them generalize like that ruins them. It, that is the literal essence of what you don't want to do with information. Like, I hired my mom to work for me at Dairy Queen and it didn't work out. That's a great specific story. Like, tell that she tells that story. We don't need it to be boiled down into some sort of like quote or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I don't think that we've said it yet on this podcast, but this book is 190 pages. Like, this is a pamphlet. This is not a book. It's a generous 190. The fact that it had any sort of hardcover is insane to me. This book, I think, cost, what, like 30 bucks? Like, that's insane. I had to take the jacket off when I was bringing it with me to read it. I was so embarrassed by having to carry this around. It's crazy to me that they let her leave the room with this book saying, "You're okay, you're done. 190 pages. We're all set. Let's... Well, I just want to asterisk you there. It's 190, including the construction tips, which, as we've mentioned, are just reiterating. They're half a page each. And then sometimes at the end of the chapter, she'll have two Thank to three you. pages of tips that are mm -hmm. literally just the bullet points of what you just read. It's yeah. interesting yes. to have a book spark notes itself and then, like, double count that. She also repeats herself constantly, like, maybe I'm giving her too much credit here, but, like, she opens and closes the book. It in the opening of the actual book and in the acknowledgements with like some version of thank you to gallery books or thank you to Simon and Schuster for bringing this opportunity my way. Thank you to the mm -hmm. writer who worked with it for being so thoughtful. It was like, she makes it so almost explicit, but it's very implicit that this was not her idea at all. And I appreciate that. And it made me kind of forgive everything annoying about it. Like she repeats herself constantly. Half of the book is her being like, but more on that later, but I'll get to that in a oh second. My God. And then it's like, not only will you get to it in a second, you'll repeat yourself over and over and over again. Wait, like, I kept texting Bobby, how many times does she say more on that later or I'll get to that later? And it's always about things that I'm like, no, talk about it now. Like your divorce <laughs> from the famous guy. Talk about it now. It's a book. Exactly. When she gets to it later, it's one sentence. Yeah. It's like you could have put that sentence sooner. It's so wild. The um, length of describing that she's about to talk about the Dairy Queen incident and the story of the Dairy Queen incident are almost equal lengths. And then even <laughs> when she talks about her engagement to Matthew Morrison, she's like, normally I don't believe in talking bad about somebody, but it's in public now. So I'll just say this. 
it didn't work out. <laughs> but he's nice and we reconnected and he's cool. <laughs> but we're friends or whatever, even though she talks shit about him. The also the other thing is like, I'm sorry, but you need to devote more time to talking about Justin Hartbeat. Like that is your plot yeah. line. You gave an entire reality season to it. Like if you're going to share that on TV, it's your book. This is your story. You get to tell the story now. Like she totally fumbles that. And I think she brought up a good point that she goes, he could have just done it privately if he had waited one more month for filming to be over, but he broke up with me on purpose or like not on purpose, but specifically during filming. I don't know what was wrong in their marriage, but I'm sure he could have just ignored her for four weeks. But isn't it fucked Sorry. up that you just read her memoir and don't know what went wrong in her marriage? Like, she has the line. Because she doesn't explain anything about the marriage. Like, she has no idea. <laughs> she goes, well, it wasn't perfect and things went wrong, but oh well. And it's like, how did you spend all this time talking about, like, the fake jewelry that you sold on Home Shopping Network or whatever? And you didn't say a word about... Like, anything about your private life with this man who apparently affected, like, your entire perception of yourself. Like, it, it was just wild to me. Okay, but here's what I love, though. On the show, she's like, I don't know what happened. He broke up with me from out of the blue. In the book, she confirms she has no idea why they broke up and still to this day seems to have no idea, even though he's literally remarried, you but know? she also Re doesn't have any, like... <laughs> love learnings do you know what i mean like oh, it's not yeah. even if yeah. she's like i don't know why we broke up she mentions that they had trouble she mentions that they had ups and downs or whatever people say in their anniversary posts but she doesn't ever say like we were so in love we were so happy like i don't know when mm -hmm. things changed and there's no like things are over now but i'll always have love for him when her mom died he never reached out we have all these things where i'm like what was your marriage because it does seem like you guys yeah. met and like thought each other was hot and then he got really famous and had better opportunities. Which yeah. would have been so fascinating for her to try and think about as somebody yes. who is also becoming more famous, your husband, ex-husband became more famous while you were with him and you weren't famous. So what does that feel like? What was that like? Was he becoming a dick? What, like, what happened? He was getting famous as she was getting her real estate license. So here's something I would like your professional opinions on. Me and Ashley were talking about this coming into the episode. When she got that real estate license, she says multiple times that it was with this idea that one day she HGTV. could have like an HGTV show. She keeps saying like, it would be great for my career. Do you think that was an idea she had? Do you think that that was a hope she had? Or do you think that was an idea a manager gave her? Definitely an idea a manager gave her. I think a manager gave her, yeah. When they saw her on the home shopping network or whatever, and they said, you should sell something else. How about real estate? Get your license and maybe we'll get you a show. I could believe her coming up with it naturally because that was around the time because she says that she started looking into being, and here's a timeline question for you. Did it confuse you? I think it could be a natural thing where she was watching a lot of HGTV in like 2013, whenever all of those personalities started kind of really yes. coming to the fore. That's fair. But the timeline thing is very strange because she says, was a, that was another note that I took where it was Here's like- Here's my paper. Okay. This is me trying to figure it out. This, I like literally had to write down. I was like, so she says it's about a year, about a year, about, about a year. About a so year. Like what are you talking about? Because she says in 2013, she started trying for her real estate license. Yes. Then she says about a year after I got it, I got on Selling Sunset. But that puts five years between. So I think about a year after she got it, she in 2018 is when she met Jason Oppenheimer. Right. Okay. So that's 2007. Oppenheim. Oppenheim. One Oppenheim. <laughs> Oppenheim. You're giving him like John Jacob Jingleheimer yeah. Schmidt vibes, but Jason he's just Oppenheimer Schmidt. <laughs> 
so that's 2017. She, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it took her about a year to get it. So I think she pursued in 2016. According to the internet, she got her license in 2016. And she says she like went in slow and wasn't actually really doing real estate. She just like okay. got herself a house. She was okay. like, my husband, her fiance, her- she had one thing that she sold and it was her fiance's house. Yeah. So she bought oh. herself a house. Okay, so with her new license, she said, I'll represent myself as a real estate agent. Okay, so fine. Like, why else would you get one, you know, Mm -hmm. for not to start there? And then I think in 2017, maybe she was like legitimately trying and then met Jason and then became. I don't know that legitimately trying comes into this timeline ever, but. Okay, I don't know why. I I don't even know why I said that. Speaking of her lost TV opportunities, I will say the one thing that I did not know and in generally so pissed we didn't get was Chriselle as the bachelorette like I was gonna ask oh, you guys yeah. what do you think her storyline would have been what do you think her arc it's a sliding doors though for her like I feel like that sliding door she would be like 10 times more famous than she already is mm-hmm. I think she would have been great at it I think she would have been all in in a very authentic like I'm here to find love way like she is she not fucking it. around with that stuff I don't think she's that good of an actress I think she's really like earnest about her life and I don't know I think she would have been amazing I'm like I'm so bummed you know I would have watched the season I also think that she's so in love with love that she would have been the bachelorette contestant or the bachelor contestant who gets engaged at the end follows through with it like has the big wedding and then maybe it crumbles and like that's kind of depressing to say but like I could see the narrative play out she gets married and she's devastated whenever he finally files for divorce or something because to her marriage is marriage and everything is shocking when it doesn't work out like despite how many times it's happened in the past and she says that's one of her faults with love she doesn't learn from her mistakes and she's like always keeps her rose-colored glasses on so i could see like like Lindsay said it would only make her more famous i could see her being the first double bachelorette (laughs) like i could see her (laughs) being the bachelorette getting married getting cheated on publicly and left yep and then like three years after her first time rallying around again and making it work and people would root for her She's so good at talking to people that I think that she would have been amazing to talk to all these like random guys. Like, I just think that she would have gotten so into it in a way that I find The Bachelor and The Bachelorette so boring now because like, who are these people? But I think she would have been such a good personality for the show. I'm so sad. Also, I'm looking over this segment and there's literally a typo in this paragraph about her. She says the bachelorette and it, there's a big t and a little t right next to each other just iconic incredible page 121 good job everyone <laughs> they did not reread this <laughs> because this was early bachelorette so this was right after brad womack season and there is also the chance that she could have been a flash in the pan sort of go on the bachelorette and then we would have totally forgotten about her within the next three years like the girl that she mentions who did it instead is someone that i like truly have no recollection of because this was before Selling Sunset. So like this would have been a sliding doors and that she might not have done Selling Sunset. She probably wouldn't have because she already would have been like a reality star in this other way where it wouldn't have really made sense and her life would have probably gone. But she would have done Paradise. Did they have Paradise back then? I don't know because there is this whole camp of women who like never got a career out of it because it was pre-social media. Like you used to go on The Bachelor, lose and then still be a teacher. Which is so sad. <laughs> Go home and live your dumb life. I wonder if her name is still on the table to be the bachelorette. Like that would be crazy to me. She should have been it over Claire. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. You want an old bitch? We've got you one with a heart <laughs> yes. of gold and a burnt down house. 
the other thing about a Chriselle that I always say, which is insane, is I find her so beautiful, like naturally. And actually, if you like look at the photos of her and her family, you're like, wait, this girl has been like insanely just magnetically beautiful with no makeup, no Hollywood tricks from the day she was like a preteen. Like she's she's a beauty queen in my like when I see these young photos of her, I'm like, I cannot believe her. But it's one of those things where it's like her personality does her so many favors and like (laughs) and selling sunset does her so many favors because even though she comes across as like not the brightest bulb in the box and like like irritatingly naive about like everything in a way that like you almost can't really bemoan her for it's like what is wrong with you but i like you're so nice i can't help but still find you sweet there's a there's a category of person of like a famous person who's like I was the ugly duckling. And then you see them in high school and you're like, no, you weren't. You were beautiful. And she does that over and over again. But I still do believe that like, she really must have thought she was hideous. And I think that the fact that she brings up that mustache over and over and over again, someone must have said something really nasty to her about that mustache that like she never got over. Because when you see those photos, you're like, whoa, wait. Yeah. You were pretty. Like, what's up with this? That's what I was going to ask you guys is, do you believe, because I look at these photos and I was shocked because normally I think when you look at a family and there's a lot of kids, you get a gorgeous one, you get some middle ones, you get like a dud. (laughs) But this was kind of like, do you know, like an angel in a sea of duds, which you don't statistically get often. And I was just like, how could she ever even pretend that people didn't think, like, it must have been clear to everybody who walked by wherever they were living that that was something special. Yeah. I agree, but I also I also realize that being like housing insecure is like a really yeah. great way to fuck up your whole life outside of your yeah. family. Like when she was like, I was the smelly kid. Like I believe that a hundred percent. And actually like, if you think about quote unquote, the smelly kids from like your elementary school, they could have been like freaking the most beautiful people in the room. But like, there is no hiding the fact that you like haven't washed your hair in two weeks or like are wearing hand-me-down mm-hmm. clothes from like your, that are two sizes too small. Yeah, they were literally sleeping on mildewed mattresses. Like, I think yeah. that that yes. might have, I, I mean, she might have felt and, like, seemed really ugly. And then <laughs> as soon as they, like, brushed her off, they were like, oh, wow, what was under there? Yeah. Right. It's more so when I watch Selling Sunset, I, I'm i more, like, amazed by how naturally pretty she is compared to everyone else who's, like, clearly not naturally pretty. Yes. And it is interesting to see these old photos of her when it's like, oh, she's always been this, like, light like there is something sparkly about her from the very Mm -hmm. start and I can see how she like maneuvered her way up the like ladder in that way because it probably wasn't that hard for somebody naturally beautiful and like very polite and southern and like ambitious you know no I felt I was like this is the American dream I want a girl who was pretty for no reason getting success (laughs) she had a very hard upbringing but something that shocked me was the way that she just slid right into a seven-year gig like she right. struggled as a child, but never once as an actress. And then I also to bring up the timeline. Yeah. It seems like she got kicked off that show. She immediately was hired on another show. And the way that she seems like she gave up after two weeks, she was mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know if this acting thing is going to work out. I've only had eight years of perfectly consistent work handed to me. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and my favorite thing about her getting that job, her first job on Days, Days of Our Lives was the first job. No, All yeah. My Children. No, and, yes, All My Children, because her mom was proud of her. Days of right. My Lives. And she yeah. shows up and goes, like, gets a job as an actor on a really popular daytime soap opera like one of the ones you've heard of because it's been on for 100 years and then she says 
I had a really hard time showing my emotions on screen. And I was like, that's the job. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you got the job and you can't do it? Like, what was the screen test? At one point right. when she was like, I had to cry, but luckily my character was fake crying. So my bad <laughs> fake crying like worked. And I was like, what? I love Why that. Why were That's, you there? I love that. So what did they ask her to do in the audition? There, right. What was the audition if not fake crying? Because that's like 90% of the job. Oh. But also it's like, we're we're vaguely implying that this girl has way more interesting stories about the behind the scenes mm -hmm. of how you get cast on a show like this and the skeevy characters and kind of like behind the scenes things that go on. She tells none of them. <laughs> like, she really doesn't tell as many as like, I bet she has, which is kind of shocking to me because somebody like this seems like they might have a lot of sketchy people. That's kind of the stories you want to hear, you know? I mean, she says, I have had a lot of bad managers and she's right, like, you know, and right. my first bad manager, more on that. She never doubled back, right? I didn't just like accidentally. On that later. No, she never does. She never even doubles back on how she got a manager. She's like, at one point she's living in LA and she's waiting table yeah. at like six different restaurants. She's at Tony <laughs> Roma's. She said, she's like, first of all, yeah, I will say another thing. This, so I hate LA too. A lot. Like, I really don't like Los Angeles. But I lived yeah. there for five years. And so okay. I will say she talks about her early jobs where she was waiting tables at Tony Roma's at Universal City Walk and then driving out to the Palisades to be a camp counselor. And then she had another job back in Burbank. And I Impossible. will say Man for model. three, like, minimum wage positions, stay in one neighborhood. Like, how could you not find a different camp counselor job in the Valley? Like, I don't understand why you were driving back and forth every day. Like, if you needed another job that paid you $7 an hour, you could have found one probably a block from your house. I do not comprehend why she was driving to the Palisades to make probably $30 a day. I also want to point out, I mean, not to like keep questioning how she gets hired because clearly she's a hard worker with a lot of grit as she tells us. And I believe, but she says that she didn't know how to swim until the kids at the camp taught her. And so like, again, what were the qualifications for summer camp at the beach? She was a <laughs> beach lifeguard counselor who couldn't swim. <laughs> and she's not a liar. So she wouldn't have said, I can definitely swim, right? No. Yeah. I mean, and she's so beautiful, but I'm like, is she like in LA, you assume most people are beautiful. Was she so beautiful in person that an adult would go, you can watch kids swim. I don't care if yes. they die. Just <laughs> yes. smile upon me. I love you. A hundred percent. Yes, definitely. Yes. I am willing to bet that after the amount of money she was spending on gas, that Palisades lifeguard camp counselor job, she probably made $8 a day. <laughs> Like, it is oh. so insane to me that she was doing that. I'm like, I get it. You worked hard. You had all these jobs. I mean, the only reason it was manageable is because I guess she lived out in L.A. for like eight months before getting the TV job, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just feel like it's no one's accusing this girl of nepotism. Nobody's accusing her of getting a foot up. And no, we got it. No one is doing that. Don't worry about it. I know there's a lot of like yelling nepotism now, but we are not yelling it. I just want it's okay if you got a job because you were pretty. I just want to hear like those types of stories too. Like not everything has to be like, oh, I worked so hard or da da da. It can be like, oh, I was in LA. So I scanned my way into this. I scanned my way into that. It's like, at this point I'm on your team and however you need to make money, I'm down for you, like figuring it out. You know, like the nude modeling thing is kind of funny because that is a little, that's a little bit closer to what I assume she was doing like all over the place. Like if she had been like, I was a hand model at like a, at a trade show. I was, you know, I was, I played Barbie at some other trade. Like, how did you meet your manager? Yes. I don't need the seedy details. If you don't want to relive, and maybe there wasn't anything seedy about her come up, but like, 
How did you get there? This book is a very optimistic book. She seems like a very optimistic person, but if you're going to be truthful about like growing up and all the hardships you went through there, like it can't feel like Hollywood was a breeze. I know it was not. There's no way. The one time I noticed she like gets real and gives a real tip is when she's like, someone wrote to me saying they're getting their real estate license. So they already put in notice at their restaurant job. And I was like, oh no, honey, real estate is a side hustle. You can't just put all your eggs in that basket right away. <laughs> I was like, what? Right. We were on Selling Sunset. They're like, how long did it take you to sell your first house? And they're all like, a year, whatever. And then like Vanessa, the new one this season is like two months or whatever. And they're all like, what? <laughs> That's bad advice. I thought it was really revealing also when she breaks up, was it Justin Hartley? And she talks about how she went to her Instagram DMs from strangers for like emotional support where she was like, oh, God. I was so depressed and I opened up my Instagram DMs and it made me feel better. I was like, that is one of the realest things in this book where it's like, oh, celebrities do do that. You know, it's like, I always think of Sally Field going to the mall in New Jersey in Soap Dish when she wants like a little pep talk because she knows she's going to be recognized by the soap opera stand. That's they smart. do that. That's so funny. I avoid my DMs at all costs because I'm so afraid of what somebody will say that will push me over the edge. As you should. As you should. Nobody should be reading their DMs. Sorry, I just came across a construction tip that I love. Never make a mediocre vision board. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you make a mediocre vision board? There's also a line later where she was like, I had to get real. I started a vision board. She's like, I couldn't just sit around waiting for the next thing to come. I had to make a vision board about it. Never make a mediocre vision board. That is advice to follow. I don't know who is confused about what a vision board is supposed to be, but do not make one that's mediocre. The more we talk about it, yeah. the more I think that like she is the type of person who just sort of stumbles into success. Like she's sort of just like bumbling into things. Like if you told me she just bumped into a guy on the street and when he was like, can I be your manager? And she said, she said, sure. And suddenly got an all, all my children job. I believe you because she seems to think that like half of life is luck, even though I think there is a construction tip that's like, luck is just perseverance meets something. And she's like, I can't say that I made that up. It's from a famous quote. Just kidding, I Googled <laughs> it. And it's like, we know we've heard this a hundred times before, Rochelle, like. Can I tell you my favorite thing? So she has a whole chapter about deciding not to be like her mother and how her mm -hmm. mom and her parents were always blaming things on bad luck. And she's like, I heard myself say it one time and I realized that that's such a negative way to look at life. You're, mm -hmm. so you're setting yourself up for failure. And then she goes, so I stopped saying things were bad luck. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't get an A or that time my house burnt down, I didn't just say, oh, that's bad luck. And I was like, I will say, I think your house burning down, that, that might've been that's bad luck. Bad luck. That's definitely bad luck. But then she says, just my luck all the time. And the other thing to her earnestness is when she talks about that hand modeling gig and how she turned it into being a full-time co-host, mm -hmm. she says that when the guy went for a smoke break, she straight up looked at the camera and said, please buy something so he'll let me be a co-host. <laughs> so there is this part of me that's just like, you know when somebody is like so naive, it almost is like savvy. Do yes. you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Like you don't have the fear. Like when a 16 year old wins gold at the Olympics because they don't know any better. Like they don't know to be afraid. That's why advice makes no sense. It's like, I'm not going to suddenly be more naive because of this. Like, I can't mimic you. I hated her, like, Kentucky Girl's Guide to Making in the Big City because it does, like, counteract her own good-natured luck that she just believes people and, like, kind of finds her way. Like, you kind of want that a little bit of naivety because you want to, like, have those experiences like she had when she says, like, don't trust anyone. It's like, oh, well... 
Okay. (laughs) She says, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. No, I can't take credit for this definition. It was an ancient Roman philosopher named Seneca, but let's keep it real. I found it on Google. That's it. Thank you so much. Let's keep it real. To the ghostwriter. If you're going to go with this construction tip thing, at least word shit like tips. None of these are even worded in like a tip adjacent way. They're just Mm -hmm. like blurbs. I just feel like they didn't learn from the show and what people's interests are because I also would have just loved some real estate agent knowledge. Treat me like an adult. Give me some percentages. Break me down how the commissions work. Give some actual real estate advice. I don't know. Like, I think, I don't think that would be crazy to have a section that's just like the nitty and gritty. They would have had to pay somebody else to come in and give her. Like, you know, when Britney Spears had a tutor to teach her how to tutor her own kids. That's like what (laughs) Rochelle would have needed. She's like, I need a real estate writer to come write for me so I could write for my thing. You brought up her mom, but I also feel like they just did not do a good enough job like digging into that relationship. There's so many interesting things there. I mean, there were a lot of moments where she was like, and now I've forgiven her and now I'm okay with it all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, let's dive in. But just like, my mom was a nightmare, but I loved her. It's like, my mom was a terrible employee, but like, I admire that. And it's like, (laughs) what? I do think the fact that our mom just passed away, like when I got to that section, oh, okay. Because she's like, you know, my mom didn't always offer stability or money and we weren't always fed. And I did raise her children, but I look back Mm -hmm. and I say, what a free spirit. Wasn't that nice? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Nice that she didn't feel burdened by society's expectation that you raise the children you bring into this planet. (laughs) And she brings that up a couple of times. Right. Like when she was pregnant and I was like almost out of the house and yet I had to raise her new baby like I do feel like it's like this is a premature book in terms of like her kind of coming to terms with what her relationship with her mom is and was at this point yeah you can tell I think it's a premature book in almost every sense of the word premature (laughs) and like you know when some things should have never existed at all (laughs) what's that word like what's the premature for that (laughs) pre-cum I think there's like a story that's interesting here but I wanted a, a more in-depth writer to help her dig into her relationships with her family and what it's like to be housing insecure and all that stuff and just like she has the story to tell and like she needed somebody else to help her tell it better that's what such a bummer is the personality she has that has allowed her to succeed in the way she has is like the same personality that precludes her from ever writing a book Like there is this sense of like in one out the other. I do believe actually that she's forgiven her mom. And I'm like looking right now at the just my luck section where she's talking about all the gigs she didn't get and how looking back, she's like, isn't that great that I didn't get those things? Like, I do think she can't hold on to anything in her heart. And that's why this book only has about seven to eight memories. Yeah, (laughs) She doesn't hold a grudge. Yeah. The incomparable, the Bella Twins memoir. We read it for our podcast. It was filled with tons of understandably formative memories. And I was like, there's so much about their childhood in this that I found interesting, even though I didn't really care about them. And I kept thinking like, why can't she just go long on Dairy Queen? Give me a full chapter on Dairy Queen. Give me a full chapter on high school. Like the Bella Twins did that. And instead she just zips back and forth between the present because I think Selling Sunset's so stuck in her in the front of her mind that she's like, I have to tie everything back to Selling Sunset. Yeah, Yeah. and she even recounts plots from Selling Sunset, which is so unnecessary. Why do you think I'm reading this book? Because I've seen fucking Selling Sunset. I know the plot. You don't need to tell me the plot line about Christine talking shit about you or whatever. Like I was there. I mean, I wasn't, but I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) If we saw something on TV, recounting that memory does nothing. 
but you can add like a twist be like you don't know that earlier that day I actually got run over by a car she had one interesting line that I know like I'm grasping for straws but I was so thirsty a true drop in the desert but um when she was like on the show it seemed like they were only yelling at me for one or two minutes but in reality it had been an hour and I was like that is an interesting (laughs) thing to talk about Mm -hmm. but like I am a big reality head person and I was like oh thinking about the timeline of when people freak out over a sentence if it had been a whole dinner she needs to get into more of the behind the scenes. There's no way that any sort of contract would prevent her from just talking about what it's like to be on reality TV in more depth. And like people want that and they should have gone into it. Also like not to be insidery, but I happen to know that Chriselle has a lot of friends who are like media people in LA. Like she's friends with like people that I know. Like she definitely loves a lot of other personalities online who have podcasts and stuff like that. I'm like, where did those people why did those people get involved here with this book? Like, I just feel like there could have been more guidance in producing something a little bit more interesting or funnier or like something with her. If that's true that she has even like celeb adjacent friends or name somebody. She does. So Tyler Cameron, whose book we read, who is, God bless him, as smart as he looks, wrote a book where every other chapter was a story, a memory of him by a friend he knew. And I think that could have actually been very successful in this book where if she had mm-hmm. taken a famous friend and they could yes. have been like my favorite night out with Chriselle or something you might not know about Chriselle. Like, yeah. Have a famous yeah. person tell an inside story about another yes. famous person. People would have loved yes. that shit and it would have doubled the book. Mm-hmm. Also, where are the sisters? Give me uh, whatever their names are. Sharna, Barna, Karna, where are them? Tell me. Charissa, Tabitha, Shonda, and then one more. <laughs> yeah. She has all these great sisters. Let's get them in here, like, telling stories. More from the double wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What yes. would you rather, a double wedding or a camo wedding? That's the question I have for both of you. Double wedding. That caption is a story that we don't get. Right? It's wh- Why was there a camo wedding considered? Why was there a double wedding? <laughs> she mentions a few times really not getting along with Tabitha. And you're like, what the mm-hmm. fuck Why? is your guys' deal? Tell me a story about you and Tabitha having a fight because I know hair got pulled. Having that many siblings is rare at this point. Like, I really do think it's like nobody was there to tell Chriselle, like, this is interesting. Talk more about it. Like, having mm-hmm. so many sisters is Maybe she didn't know that it was not interesting. That's somebody's job to say, like, we got to get more into this because people will find this compelling, you know? Or like, what do you, does your family expect from you now that you've made this money? I mean, that kind of life switch. I know that this is like in no memoir will we have ever gotten this, but to hear Tabitha's experience of growing up dirt broke with this gorgeous sister who went out and like did the thing. I mean, that's an insane experience to be like, well, I wasn't beautiful. So now I have to die in poverty. Are they asking <laughs> for money? Where do they live? What's it like yeah. having, yeah. you know, she, cause I know Chriselle's really obsessed with like maybe having children, freezing her eggs, having all these sisters with kids. Like what's that? You know, there's no like actual, it's just the, the facts. I have this many sisters and here they are versus like what it means to have that many sisters you know like it's just so it's such a wasted opportunity where like someone like us would sit down and ask all these questions I'm just like where were these questions you know where were they follow-up questions at the risk of being wrong I almost believe that she's a 2d person like do you remember when that clip went viral of her being like I had a crazy year both my parents died I got a divorce and I was on Dancing with the Stars yes yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everybody was like laughing about it but in this book all of those emotional experiences are absolutely flattened to equivalent that's true they're all the same plus yeah. at the end when she buys a house like both parents dying in a year the divorce like dancing with the stars and buying a house are all given a chapter 
And I'm just like, oh, so is that your experience with these things that they're all about the same? I think it is. The fact that you're able to give as much uh, information about buying a house as your parents dying is insane. The best writing in this book, I have it open, made me laugh out loud. And it's when she buys the house because I was like, oh my God. We don't get detail about anything. Like Susan Lucci asks her out on a date with her friend and the guy's like too old. I think that's what the issue was. He was too old or something. And Susan Lucci didn't realize she was only 23. And it's like, how was this only a paragraph? Your fancy dinner with Susan Lucci. How is this not a whole chapter? But like this killed me. Suddenly we're on page 179 and she goes, even when I dreamed big, I never imagined a house like the one I have now. It has European oak floors throughout, a chef's kitchen, unobstructed views of the canyon and the city, a heated pool and a spa with a cabana and two outdoor fire pits. My favorite thing about the home is that you can see straight through the canyon as soon as you open the front door. I didn't even know these homes existed as a kid. There's another two paragraphs of just describing a house. And I was like, it's weirdly like actually kind of perfect that the most descriptive she ever gets is when she's describing a house. <laughs> like I was yes. like, okay, that's funny. But that's the poetry of her entire life. She yes. is a person who grew up with no house that moved house to house, moved place to place, who is now a real estate agent. There is nothing more tidy. That's the metaphor she should have used. That is the tidiest, most, with a bow. I know it's not It's not as simple as that, but it sure seems it. And if that's not the, the center of your book, like the idea that it's like under construction, like I'm working on myself, no. It should be in escrow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in escrow. Or just or like, I'm finding, finding a my home. home, forever home. Like finding a home, finding somewhere to live. Like we're digging into this one metaphor. If this book like just said, that's the point of this story that you're telling, that's it. Mm -hmm. And then she could have done house versus home. Like mm -hmm. what makes something a house versus what makes something a home. For every chapter where I lived, like all yeah. these places yeah. that I lived, like this dump, this dump, my grandma's house, like this apartment, that apartment, let's go from place to place. The concept here doesn't make any sense. It's truly insane to have such a honestly beautiful and sad and sweet metaphor like laid out for you your whole life. It's a happy ending, so it's not that crazy to be like, it's so sad. And to not fully make that the entire heart of your book is just, it makes no sense to me. I mean, it really feels like they slapped this book together in three weeks or less. Like yes, it was not, definitely. it was someone was like, I don't know, under construction. And they were like, yeah, houses are also under construction sometimes, <laughs> certain seasons. It depends on when. <laughs> Can I ask something? And I literally asked this. I've been like thinking about it, but I've been afraid that maybe I missed a page because it seems impossible to me that she could have talked about this so much and never actually told us anything. Does she ever tell the story of when her house burnt down? There's a line, there's like a throwaway line where she's like, it's scary to wake up when your house is on fire or something like that, but that's it. I think that's all she said. No, she never, yeah. Because that's like a huge part of her life. <laughs> yeah. And yes. it's almost like the best thing that happened to her in a way because then they got to move into her grandma's house and for the first time she had like stability, I think. And then she got to buy all new clothes and she buy got new to, clothes. to right, be right, right. rich for a minute. But I kept being like, but why did the house burn down? Was it mm -hmm. bad luck? Was it not bad luck? Like what did, happened Did like the there? mom do something wrong and she didn't want to like be rude to the mom? Like did the mom leave the stove on? Leave a candle lit? It could be anything. Don't you think your house burning down would get a section? I mean, that boy who pulled her hair. Got more than the house. I know. Cause he got his comeuppance. The other thing is she's, she could have gotten more into their religion stuff. Like that's creepy. What's going on there? But when they were in a cult. When she goes, I can't legally say it's a cult. And then a page later, she's like, anyway, back at the cult. I was like, you just, <laughs> what are you talking yeah, about? There, there's so much interesting stuff about her parents and why they were the way that they were. Mm -hmm. and, and she doesn't even bother to like 
maybe take a little time to like look up some stuff. Maybe were were they falling around some weird people? Who were the leaders of this church and why were they, you know, like this isn't that hard. She doesn't have to write this stuff herself. The ghostwriter could have written it, you know, like if we got yeah. a little yeah. bit of background, I'm not going to go Google this, but I could, you know, and probably find out more interesting stuff. I was very confused by like when it turned out that there was a grandmother who had some sort of stability. It was very glass castle. But the grandmother had stability, but also had, I think she calls him a creepy boyfriend. And then it's like, yes. I want to know about grandma's creepy boyfriend. And we only get that one descriptor and that's it. I had forgotten about him until you just now mentioned because he was a clause. I hope that she hears this and writes a sequel called like <laughs> building a out a basement where she just goes in depth <laughs> with the these basement details. Renovating. Finished basement. The attic of my soul. Bonus room. Full yes. death reno. Could have been like whole gut, heart reno, something like with guts, your guts, filling your guts. Yes. I don't know. Whole heart reno. Yes. Yes. Perfect. I had no place to talk about this, but I wrote down like three really bad lines that made me laugh. Three oh, times you, that please. I laughed out loud reading this. One of them, a chapter that begins, real estate, like acting in relationships can be tough. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> All due respect to Michelle Obama, but every once in a while, I find that taking the high road can be overrated. And then, <laughs> despite my attempts to keep my cool, I did get nominated for an MTV Movie and TV Award for Best Fight for my rivalry with Christine on Selling Sunset. It goes back to what you were saying about everything being approached with, like, the exact same amount of excitement and, like, enthusiasm. Yeah. There's no, like, wink when she talks about being nominated for an MTV Movie and TV Award for Best Fight. She's like... What an honor. No, that's a big deal to her. It's as big of an honor as being cast on Days of Our Lives. And it's just I know, like, oh my I God. I, in in a way, it's like accidentally revealing. Like this book was thrown together so quickly that you get these weird moments of like clarity where it's like, oh, Chriselle's just like a very simple person. You know, like she's just yeah. happy. Yeah. You know? You may have forgotten, but she was also nominated for a daytime Emmy. I think she was more excited about the MTV one. Yes. Yeah. So she mentions the MTV insane. award twice. Do you guys have any like final moments that you wanted to mention that I really wanted to get into whether or not you believe the Jason Oppenheim relationship oh. was real? Do I believe that it's real? This is hard. I don't think she does. I don't think she does fake. After reading this book, I believe that it's real because I do feel like she's really convinced me that she is the kind of person who wouldn't fake. Like, I believe that she dated her Dancing with the Stars guy because like, I just think that she is one of those people that is like looking for love. Wait, is that who she was calling the tall dancer? The tall yes. dancer, yeah. Was her Dancing mm. with the Stars partner? No, 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 Keo, a different oh, okay. Keo guy. It was Keo. That's so funny to just be like this tall dancer the tall that I one. met. Okay. We all know, know. it was in the tabloids. They like went on vacation. We all know this. But yeah, I think I kind of want to say that it was real. Also, the idea that they broke up before this book came out, like it's just funny that it's like the timing was so off. Like this book is cursed. <laughs> the caption where it's like, this is a photo we took in Italy. Fun fact, it's Jason's phone wallpaper. Um, Not anymore. But to answer your question, I think it's always, I think everything is always real to Chriselle. But I think I <laughs> based on what we know about Jason and even the stuff that she was saying about Jason, like kind of cluelessly, where she's like, up until then, he only dated like 23-year-old models and like they the relationships never lasted long. But then, you know, we were best friends at work and then I fell for him and it was, it's magic. It's just like, she doesn't take context clues ever. And I think that she's just so, she's so willing to believe in the fantasy that like 
To her, I think it was real. To Jason, I think it was absolutely 100% never real. Television. This line might be one of my favorites in the whole book. She says, he usually dated 20-something models, and (laughs) I always dated guys who were over six feet tall. So the thought of us (laughs) being together didn't cross our minds. That's so funny. I have to say, I do agree. I think Jason probably fell in love with the PR opportunity. Do you know what I mean? I think he Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's hard to believe that something so perfect, like literally a whole season's worth of drama is them dating and a whole, the the entire thing could be so, could be so uh, authentic. Like there are, Mm -hmm. there's gotta be pieces of this that are not. I just really believe that their relationship like I always say like love is different to people and that's why people on The Bachelor or like Bachelor in Paradise can make it work. They love their life and the narrative that people have yes. for them as an accompaniment to loving each other in a way that is like, we both have had the same experience in life yes. and we really like that we under- both understand what it's like to be us. Yeah. And I, I imagine was- Jason and Chriselle in bed posting an Instagram and like lovingly hold each other as they watch the comments come in. There's a lot to be said about having somebody who experiences the same thing as you and also getting validation forever for yeah. being with that person. That's yeah. gotta be at least 40% of that relationship if you're in that relationship, you know, the rest is the other stuff, you know? But again, it goes back to the Christine stuff where it's like, I sometimes I just don't think that she understands that anyone is capable of just having a showmance, you know? Like, I think she, she really, truly hates Christine. I think that she thinks <laughs> Christine is an evil, awful person. And I don't think she'll ever fully grasp the fact that while Christine is probably not the greatest person alive, Christine is acting. Like, Christine is fulfilling, a, like, playing a role in a way that I don't think Chriselle understands. But I think that yeah. works to her benefit in, in most cases. Like, They're perfect adversaries yeah. in that way. They're perfect. Yeah. They're total opposite sides of the coin, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's what makes the show good. And I, even though this le- recent season was, like, not as good as the one before, like, their rivalry is very helpful to that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have any favorite moments that you feel like need to be acknowledged before we move on? Oh, the Nickelback video. Yes, the Nickelback video. (laughs) Again, clueless. When she's like, this was when she was supposed to be in a Nickelback video. And she goes, for context, this was just before so many people turned on Nickelback. And this video may have been the reason people turned on them. I was like, 2012 was not just when people turned on Nickelback. Just like, she's quite clueless. But again, in a very endearing way. So, I don't know. Also, the woman that they hired to be her in that video looks about 10 years older than her. And I, Bobby and I were talking about this. I think that that was a choice. Like, I think she, they wanted they an, an older, older looking person. woman. Yeah, it's to match significant. Jason, yeah. I do think that that's the delusion, though, that keeps her afloat and why she's successful because she can look at something like that and be like isn't it lucky that i didn't get a job the day before nickelback became evil and you're like (laughs) yeah that's exactly every minute of that sentence is true i also love the assumption (laughs) that they would have associated her with that video in any way as if i remember jason alexander was in a nickelback video i had no idea it's like chriselle that would be a buzzfeed bullet point in 2019 and that's like how do you you recognize chriselle well she was in this nickelback video ever heard of it (laughs) (laughs) flash the girl she said she was replaced by on slash Catherine webb i was like i almost googled who that was then i went i don't even care really yeah i don't care it's so funny that that was like a turning point for her it's like i didn't get on this like shitty competition show that wasn't even really on for that long like i have one more thing to say i'm so sorry the last note that i took that i didn't talk about which is again like not just this isn't about self-perception this is about like perception of hollywood like weird references i'm just like you're very peculiar 
she goes, I guess there was a little Dakota fanning in me, a kid who grew up faster than she should have in some ways. And I was like, you're older than me. Your reference point shouldn't be Dakota fanning. It should be like Drew Barrymore or something. Like, it's weird that she chose Dakota fanning as the child star who went wrong. It was like... Did Dakota Fanning go wrong? Is no! she talking about Uptown? I think she's thinking about Uptown Girls. I think she's like referencing the movie Uptown Girls specifically. Are it's you not about kidding? her real life. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I don't think Dakota Fanning is famously ruined. That's an Uptown Girls reference. Oh my God. God, I think so, so because it doesn't feel true to Dakota Fanning, but it it's is not true. Right. Don't confuse me. Oh my! It's like God. being like, I didn't want to go wrong, like Jacob Tremblay. It's like, what oh do you my know? Michelle <laughs> thinks Uptown Girls was a documentary. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> because in Uptown Girls, Dakota Fanning's character is the one who's like scolding her party mom and her right. party babysitter. Dakota Fanning is always like, "You need to be more responsible. I have ballet <laughs> class to get to." And I think that's how Chriselle feels about herself. She was like that is yelling at her mom. About being, I actually have a perfect dovetailing construction tip for this. And she goes, I remember walking in New York one day, and a woman on the street started screaming at me, saying that Amanda, my character, was so awful to Lily. She definitely thought I actually was Amanda. So I guess that's a compliment. (laughs) Construction tip: block out the haters, even the ones who scream at you in the street because they despise the character you play on a soap. She thinks that people think that television is real. (laughs) Because she thinks television is. Because she thinks television is real. real. That's true. Which explains the the tension with Christine, too. She doesn't understand acting, even though that's her job. Right. And the idea that somebody who would think she was her character was a hater, as opposed to people who are actual haters, like maybe us, you know, is an interesting distinction here. (laughs) She's amazing. Block out the haters, especially the diehard fans. (laughs) I love when she tells us her, like, very clever clapback. Also, she refers to everything as a clapback. Like, anytime... She gets into you like speak. any sort of altercation. She's like the clapping back, baby. You got to. When clap my back. mom grabbed that child by his head and threw him on the ground, that was a <laughs> clap, clap back. back. Oh, God. <laughs> when she talks about how clever she is, when there was that commenter on Instagram who said she looked they cheap and slutty, but she was wearing a really expensive bathing suit, and she was like, "If anything, mm. I'm expensive and slutty." And she's like, "Got him, <laughs> got him there, got him." They never responded he- to that comment. It's like, she what does would love you to say? <laughs> She famously loves to respond. That's fun. That's a fun thing about her is that she's always posting responses. You guys, thank you so much for doing this. I literally, I would have just kept it going for like six hours, but I'm trying to be considerate of people's time. You're so welcome. This was so fun. First off this week, I want to thank everyone who came out to the gutter on Sunday for our live show. It was truly one of the funnest nights of my life. I'm so happy you guys were there. I had such a fun time and I hope you did too. And now to our five-star reviewers, thank you so much to Emily Margaret. It's spelled in a pretty French way. I wonder if you're the real Emily in Paris. Thank you, Bcoto1. You are my number one go-to when we have to crack a code. Thank you, R.I.P. Rushing Base. R.I.P. Anyone who gets in your way because we stand. Thank you, Courtney. Hey, hey, back at ya. Thank you, Jen Good Twenty Four. More like Jen Great. Thank you, Ra One Two Four Six. Ra Ra back at ya. Thank you, Super Durs. I think you're Super Dur. Thank you, F. Kathy One. Number one in my heart. And thank you, Mary at 60, better at 60 than ever. And thank you, Lindsay CH3N, third time's the charm. Thank you guys so much. See you next week.